1: Monday, December the 12th, 2020, 5 p.m. in the city of London. You're listening to The K. Well, I'm Guy Johnson in London alongside Alex Steele over in New York. Uh, it's really warm over in New York. Over here, it's really chilly. Lies. quite cold. Lies. I'm not sure that anybody is actually in the office today, Alex. Um, a lot of people in London really struggled to get to work today. A lot of people's kids had their schools cancelled today. Um, so today is today's a kind of interesting day. Basically, volume is very light here. I think everybody's waiting for the CPI printout of the United States as well. But I think a lot of people have been forced to stay at home. The irony of today is that the trains weren't working on the only day that they were meant to be working because it strikes for the rest of the week.
0: No, fair enough. You guys have the same problem with snow that we do with rain here. Like, yes, the the train tracks don't like ice, for example, but you really hate rain. Like, New York cannot do rain. Snow is fine. Rain, big no-no.
1: As we were discussing on television a little bit earlier on, we are we are the Inuits. We are the Eskimos of, of the rain world. We have many, many words for it. It starts with kind of completely dry. Then there's maybe a little bit of mist, a bit of fog. Then you've got it spitting. There's a little bit of drizzle comes next. Um, all the way to cats and dogs. I, we just w- we have the full spectrum.
0: Is it dry rain? Or are you just talking no, dry, dry like there is no off, rain?
1: It starts off not raining. That's one end of That's the spectrum. That's
0: what dry means. Okay. Bye. Dry.
1: Dry, no rain. What, what else would it mean?
0: I don't know. Have, I thought you, you were can't saying dry, have dry rain. rain. I mean, why no. would you just call? Why wouldn't you just say it's not raining?
1: Well, not there, there is. There, there's even a there, there is a sort of interlude between. There's a gap between raining and dry as well, which is kind of which Misting? is fog and mist and all that kind of stuff as well. So many many words that we I have to describe. So it.
0: much from Guy.
1: It is it's I'm, so overwhelming. I have I a, f- a fount of knowledge when it comes to the weather. Alex is slowly but surely imbibing all of it. She will one day be an expert. Um... Markets, we should probably talk about that as well. Uh, FTSE 100 down by four-tenths of 1%. CAC's down by four-tenths of 1%. Stax is down by four-tenths of 1%. And volume is a little light. Alex, basically, it's CPI day tomorrow in the United States. That's what we're all excited about.
0: I'm just trying to figure out where the asymmetric risk is. Like, what's actually priced in and then where the real juice is going to come. If the number's super hot uh, or if it actually disappoints, does that move the needle? Does it change anything from the Fed? I'm not not so sure. I feel like there are a lot of uh, um, uh, VIX options being bought right now. We'll see.
1: Put-call ratio is certainly getting a little bit more defensive. <laughs> mm-hmm. So traders are looking maybe for a bit of protection on the downside. Uh, anyway, we will discuss all of this a little bit later on. I understand Mike McKee might be joining us, which is very exciting. He's very excited about the, uh, uh, about the Fed. The S&P, by the way, is up by around half of 1%. So that, that's kind of what's going on. To find out what's really going on, here's Charlie Pellet with the headlines.
2: I thank you very much, Guy Johnson. Uh, rail staff in Britain's control centres have called off planned strikes following a last-minute pay deal, but workers represented by a different union rejected the same offer. The union union Unite said today its members did vote to accept an offer from Network Rail ending all its walkouts in December and January. However, the National Union of Rail, Maritime and Transport Workers said nearly two thirds of voting members rejected the deal. Flights from London's Gatwick, Stansted and City Airport suffered delays and cancellations today following heavy snowfall across southeast England the previous evening. Gatwick stopped about 40 departures mainly because of aircraft out of position after they were, were diverted elsewhere yesterday when the blizzard shuttered its single runway. The spokesman says the hub for both EasyJet and British Airways is now open for incoming aircraft and most of its 270 departures. Microsoft has agreed to buy a 4% stake in London Stock Exchange Group in a $2.8 billion cloud computing deal that pushes big tech further into financial markets. As part of the agreement... LSEG said it will spend at least that amount on cloud services with Microsoft over the next 10 years. That is the latest from the news desk. Guy Johnson, back to you now in London.
1: Thank you very much indeed, Charlie Pellet. Um, we'll come back, we'll talk more about the UK economy in just a moment. Let's start off by talking about, well, let's get back to it, the weather and talk about what is happening uh, with the weather and the impact that it's having on the gas grid and also uh, the electricity grid. Um, the, the big concern that we have right now is kind of managing the story day to day. But actually, maybe that's the wrong way of thinking about this. Because earlier on today, Fatty Birol from the IEA was warning in Brussels that while this winter is going to be difficult, next winter could be even more difficult.
2: This winter, it looks like we are off the hook. We may go through this winter with some economic and social bruises, But the message that I am bringing uh, up to you today is that the crisis is not over. And next year may well be, 2023, may well be much more difficult than this year. Fadi
1: Beryl talking a little bit earlier alongside Ursula von der Leyen, uh, the president of the European Commission. Let's talk more about what has been happening today, because today we've seen uh, UK electricity prices all over the place a massive surge earlier on tonight there is going to be potentially a real crunch point we understand though that the uh, the coal plants that maybe were being prepared for use won't probably be uh, be used Uh, but let's get a sense of what is happening we're joined now by Bloomberg renewable energy and climate reporter Will Mathis Will, tell us what is going on because yesterday we saw a huge uh, spike in day ahead prices here in the UK what have we seen today
3: so today, uh, it seems like the, the worst has been averted. Um, you know, it's still it's very cold, so demand is high, and the wind is basically not blowing. Um, you know, today, wind was around like 1 gigawatt, which is, you know, earlier this year, there was a record over 20 gigawatts, uh, so very, very little. Uh, power generation from wind, it's winter, it's dark, no solar, so we're really just relying on gas mm-hmm. today um, and to, to, to fill in that gap.
0: Do you get the impression that consumers are reducing their needs at any point, or is this just going to continue to be a supply issue?
3: Um, Well, I think, like, households are probably reducing a little bit. You know, earlier this year, across Europe, we saw huge uh, declines in demand compared to what's normal. But November was also really warm. And now that it's cold, we're not seeing as much demand destruction, um, you know, come the end of the month. When people get their bills, they might Mm. the following month um, try to consume less, you know. I have a, a, a smart meter at home, so I can see every day how much I'm paying for my energy, and it's a huge amount compared to what's normal. But a lot of people don't get those like live price signals.
0: Guide you have so a smart meter? It might
3: beater? take a bit. I do. Uh,
0: you do, but to guide you?
1: I, I don't actually. know.
0: I feel like you need that. Christmas yeah, is coming. Yeah. The,
1: the danger of it. Okay. I, the, the, okay. I'm not going to get into this. Um, <laughs> uh, my concerns around smart meters,
0: but we'll we'll maybe
1: have that discussion one day. Will, let's just talk a little bit about um, the kind of volatility we're going to be seeing going forward. Uh, Should we expect in a world of renewables this kind of volatility over power prices? Is this just something we're just going to have to get used to?
3: Um, Yes, you will. Um, But gas won't always be, probably won't always be this expensive. So, you know, you're always going to have spikes um, when it gets cold, especially when there's no wind. But they shouldn't be as expensive as they are now with like normal gas markets. You know, right now we have this crazy, distorted gas market where the biggest source of supply to Europe was, you know, shut off uh, very abruptly, and that's made gas really expensive this year. Um, you would hope in the future it wouldn't be that way, mm-hmm. but you will, you know, have have big spikes day to day. That, you know, normal people don't really experience those, Mm -hmm. you know, power traders see them, but it's not like I am currently paying, you know, 900 pounds a megawatt hour for the power I'm using, even though that's like the half hour. Price for this evening. Yeah, you deal, know, like, like you said, like well, out.
0: It, it just really depends on then what the what the bill comes due, and then it's a whole different story. Um, all right, well thanks a lot. Will Mathis, joining us renewable energy uh, reporter. We'll talk about the economy next. This is Bloomberg.
4: This is the cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg
1: Radio. Good evening. Welcome. You're listening to The Cape. We are live on DAB Digital Radio. So as Charlie was telling us a little bit earlier on, the Unite Union have accepted an offer from Network Rail, but the RMT Union is still going out on strike for the rest of this week. Uh, Two-thirds of the voting members at the RMT rejecting the deal put forward. Um, Basically, this means we're going to have no trains for the rest of the week. To be honest, we had very few trains today because of the weather, Um, you've also seen school closures uh, which has been a a huge problem for parents as well Um, and all of this coming together obviously to produce almost a perfect storm for the UK economy Um, let's talk about how you kind of fold all of this in plus we probably need to talk about the data we got GDP data today we get labour market data tomorrow I got this the wrong way around earlier and then we get CPI data on Wednesday Um, joining us in the studio um, is Bloomberg economist Philip Aldrich nice to see you as ever how, I, honestly, how do you, given the volatility that we've got right now, you've got weather, snowfall, which apparently nobody saw coming. Yeah. Um, then you've got massive strikes. It's the RMT for the rest of this week. But you've got a whole range of other strikes that are happening as well. How, how on earth? And I keep asking this question and trying to get a kind of a, a, an answer, which I think is probably I don't know. But how do you how are you factoring this in?
5: Well, into the economics, into the yeah. GDP picture, Um with it's, great difficulty. Yeah, so so, so there've there been like stabs at, by industry groups like hosp- UK hospitality says it's going to knock 1.5 billion off hospitality because the pubs won't be able to get yep. the, get the customers because people aren't coming into work. It's the it's and and you've actually seen people shutting. I mean, there's been anecdotal reports about people like just not having Christmas parties. So yep. you know, loads of um, hospitality venues are seeing um, the, the, these uh, bookings cancelled. So it's like like last year, like the sort of Omicron spike last year is kind of happening because of a combination of strikes and now. Now the uh, the snow, which always manages to shut uh, the UK down, um, somehow other other countries seem to manage with a bit of snow. But um, uh, I, there's w- working from home has changed the dynamics, though, hasn't it? I mean, people yep. can can work from home. They, so you know, on weather disrupted days, there is a fallback option now that, that wasn't quite so available before. The same with the you know people have said this has kind of sort of muted the rail strikes. A little bit in terms of like their the the sort of damage that they can that they do that sort of leverage that they can have through the through the threat of effect on the on the economy, yeah. The, the the other ones are the you know, we uh, you know, there's potentially teacher strikes, which actually now that is that's the that's, one which yeah. really shuts things down because people because parents are then stuck at home, um, and
0: uh, no, oh, well, uh, that's the really and, bad and one because the then you have to like teach your kid at the same time, you're not just like stuck at home because exactly. of snow and etc. Um, so when do we get any clarity on that? Like, what's, I'm just trying to get a sense of like where the economy is now and then what are they going to be the bigger biggest risks going forward because none of this seems necessarily avoidable at the end of the day.
5: Yeah, it, 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 it's one of these... Um, no one's actually put a number on the cost of all these strikes as that I've seen. Um, but uh, it's it's, a, it's sort of this cumulative effect. And the teachers are going to ballot in January, so we're not going to have... I mean, should should they choose to strike, we'll find out. That'll probably happen in mid January or, or early February. Um, uh, but we have we have these unions, uh, the health unions, uh, striking. That is actually going to have that is having already a significant impact, or sort of health problems health backlogs having a significant impact on the economy we've got the shortage of workers in the UK and we've uh, a lot of them have uh, reported health problems and that has been linked to the backlogs there's 5.1 million people who have uh, who need to get treatment and have not got treatment Um, and you so there are degrees in which the, this, this sort of the health problems are feeding into the participation Very shortage true. in the UK, which is driving up wages and increasing inflation, and meaning, meaning that some industries, again, hospitality, for example, are struggling to actually fill uh, fill the jobs and and, and keep open.
1: It, it, let's talk about the data today. Was there anything in the data, the GDP data today, that would change? the consensus of a 50 basis point hike from the Bank of England? Do you think there's going to be anything in the labour market data and the CPI data we're going to get over the next couple of days which is going to change the potential for the Bank of England to deliver a 50 basis point hike?
5: The GDP data didn't really change the picture at all. I don't think the CPI data is going to change the picture, but the labour market data might because what we've got there is this inactivity problem. And should, yep. it, should there be signs, you like know, vacancy rates are falling, should there be signs that people are coming out of inactivity Into work or coming out of in an activity into unemployment, so they're now looking for work. That would suggest that the sort of cost of living crisis is actually encouraging people to get to try and raise. You know try and get some more income in um and that and that would that would in possibly indicate a sort of a slight loosening in in the labor market tightness we've had it we have three hundred thousand fewer people working in the uk yeah. than we than we did before the mm-hmm. pandemic so um i don't i don't think any other g7 country is suffering to the same degree of uh, labor shortages like, like the uk is so so if we did see if if we do see that shift tomorrow that could be sick that could be significant but fundamentally I think you know basically inflation expectations are still running way too high and the bank is going to do a half half point rate hike
0: since we're already talking about it should we hear what Jeremy Hahn said about this Chancellor of the Exchequer um he spoke about UK GDP and this is kind of what he had to say about the economic situation
5: well these figures confirm that this is a very
6: challenging economic situation here and across the world and it will get worse before it gets better but we have a plan that will more than halve inflation
5: over the next year and if we stay the course we can get back to the strong economic growth that we need
0: it's definitely a stiff upper lip kind of feel there from uh yeah. jeremy hunt um but this also comes from a government that's going to try and um and pair back some of this energy subsidies for example um to, but in april are they going to be able to do all of that if the economy just rolls over
5: yeah well, so he was so he was referring to this the recession that like every forecaster is saying that we are either already in or mm-hmm. are about to go into um the uh uh the the energy subsidies the the 2000 so they're capping household the typical household bill at 2500 pounds a mm-hmm. month uh, um for the until um 2500 pounds a year uh, uh, until April and then it's going up to 3000 pounds a year is the is the is the is the cap so uh, there is support there I, I i can't imagine that they're gonna they're gonna um in, increase that support because it is it is very costly if anything i think they're going to be reducing that support and trying to target it more but you know because so much hinges i mean obviously we're seeing energy prices spiking today so much hinges on what happens in russia you know in ukraine with russia um uh, there's a lot of moving parts
1: which you just can't predict at the moment is it? Is it? How is the Treasury dealing with it? This just this uncertainty at the moment. How are they? If you were to try and come up with a plan now, as you say, they want to make it more targeted. They want to try and figure out how to make this this a, a little bit more nuanced. I don't know how you build a plan in this current environment mm-hmm. to be able to do that.
0: Unless you're a meteorologist, and even they're wrong apparently.
1: <laughs> Weather forecast times economic forecast equals. No idea.
5: Yeah, yeah. They say uh, the weather forecasters have a better track record than economic forecasters, but um, <laughs> the uh, the to the plan that they've uh, that they've got. To be honest, at the moment they don't have a plan, and this is this is what uh, you know the business groups have been saying. There is no plan for growth, and it is uh, you know, I, I, Rishi Sunak has set out in in February uh, this year a you know a, a vision for where he wants growth to come from, and he I think he's going to do this again ahead of the March budget um uh so we're going to st- start seeing talk about some kind of growth plan and he's uh, he's clearly going to ho- hope he's getting a little bit of extra money to spend through the improvement in market prices which of which will you know bring down borrowing costs and give him a little bit more money to play with but the the plan that he he envisages is based on capital people and ideas basically he wants investment in skills he wants he wants innovation um, and he wants he wants the uh uh, you know the the city of London effectively huge deep pockets capital pools. He wants that money invested um, because UK is suffering from has long suffered from very very low business investment. So mm-hmm. there has been a bit of a re- already this this uh, this big bang too, which wasn't a big bang at all. But, a big bang. but there that was, was a little. There's a little bit of like you know solvency too. There's a little bit of yeah. you know we hope that maybe we've done a few things here which can get capital out the door and get it into uh, into investment in, in in the UK.
0: Um. Yeah. How's that going? Um, how's that going to go? Um, <laughs> and this is where uh, I feel like you have the economy, and then you have the weather, and then you have what people are spending on, and then the future of investment kind of all rolled into one. What are people doing with their money right now? Like if the gov- it, it, like, are they spending things, or are they so freaked out that they're just no. going to sit on their bank account, or do people not even have that cushion anymore?
5: no i think I, there is there is a slight sort of uh, people do i mean not everybody but there is a, there is a section of society which does definitely has the has the money to to keep spending um there is a section of society which is which is really having to make that horrible choice between eating and heating um but uh, in terms in terms of total aggregate firepower of the household sector, it isn't it isn't it isn't completely crippled. Um, there has been a lot of government support, like this latest scheme uh, for household uh, energy with household energy bills. That's that is that's definitely going to help. Um, you know, help, help provide a cushion as we go into the um, go into this recession. And, you know, the, the Bank of England has warned it's going to be really deep. The OBR said it wouldn't be quite as deep as 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 the Bank of England thought. The OECD said it would be shallower still. The CBI has said it will be just a, just a very small recession. I think there is there there among economists, I, I, the sense is that you know there is enough to there's enough strength in the economy this isn't a, there isn't a reason a particular sector of of the economy that is about to crash it's just a sort of it's just a weakness caused by you know this this um this this squeeze on household spending um so it it doesn't feel like it's going to be you know catastrophic and and uh, and there and there is resilience savers save you know, households have got a lot of uh, savings still
1: we'll leave it there philip thank you very much indeed going to be a big, big week. Lots of data to digest, lots of things to think about. Uh, A really choppy, choppy week as well for the UK economy with all the strikes and the weather uh, that we've got to factor in as well. Um, Philip talking, Alex, there about what is happening with the UK consumer. The retail space is now becoming... Increasingly in focus, so we've seen a whole series of insolvencies. Uh, I think uh, M and me is the is the latest one uh, that we need to think about. But we've seen Jules uh, having problems. It's been bought by Next. Uh, you've seen Made.com, which I think is a a, a furniture retailer going into insolvency. It is uh, now being bought out by Next as well. So you're seeing a whole load of uh, companies really struggling. And this is before Christmas. So normally the furniture companies have a challenge before Christmas. Uh, and then you you get the um, the kind of the, the fast fashion, the other stuff sort of happening after Christmas. Um, but we started to see all of this before Christmas. Now, ASOS as well stocked out very hard today, uh, potentially talking about bringing in a restructuring expert just to sort of sit just below the C-suite to kind of get this company through this difficult period. Um, Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Retail Analyst Charles Allen joining us now in the studio. Charles we're just talking to Philip about the fact that there is still money to spend for the UK consumer but there are clearly areas that we are seeing weakness right now. Now normally before Christmas we see the kind of the the furniture the kind of the the bigger ticket items really struggling and then you get the problems with Mm. retailers other retailers after Christmas but we're starting to see it happen before Christmas this year.
6: Yeah I mean I think you know the big Things that's happening is that obviously food prices have gone up a lot, so people just have to spend more on food. Is it, although obviously day to day we're seeing motor fuel prices down, um, year on year they're still up also quite significantly, and that's another item people have to spend on. And so decisions are having to be made. You know where can we cut back? And I think. Obviously, we're seeing it in some of the discretionary areas. Uh, I mean, again, we had, over the pandemic, household spending on their homes, so electricals, appliances, a lot of furnishings, Mm -hmm. and even some do-it-yourself, all boom areas during the pandemic. And so you might say that a lot of households have got refreshed items in there. So it's quite an easy area to look to cut back at the moment.
0: So... What is then the future for fast fashion? Like, which one? What other ones are going to kind of fall by the wayside? And where is the strength? Because that's when margins are like razor thin.
6: Well, I mean, is it's, it's, online only fashion has had very thin margins. Is it's not necessarily been the case in in all of the companies. I think also we, you know. I'm not sure if we've really seen a big fast fashion retailer struggle at the moment. And, I mean, again, you've got to remember the position of the supermarkets in the UK. I mean, they probably account for close to 30% of the volume in UK fashion. And their offerings remain pretty strong and You know, really on trend as well. So I I, and Primark, although the margin is going to be down, is also um, seeing a big, a decent sales recovery. So I think I think the point about fast fashion is that the the prices are all going to have to go up. I mean, Mm. to a greater or lesser extent. So the question is, are consumers going to buy as frequently? Or are they going to make a choice and say, okay, if everything's going to cost us more, we'll buy fewer items but of a better quality so that they'll last, you know, one or two or even three seasons?
1: How much inventory do these guys have?
6: Well, I don't think, unlike the US, I don't think the people in Europe have got into the same difficulties that we saw. There and I think, you know, uh, I I don't know, but I think that the stock forecasting has been quite good in Europe. Is that most of the retailers anticipated that there was going to be a change away from the lockdown look of casuals, athleisure, and everything like that, into dressing up, and so mm-hmm. people were prepared for a different cycle of purchasing.
0: Yeah, and that's not going to necessarily go away anytime soon either. You got to clear the inventory. I'm ready, guys. I'm ready for the sales. All right, Charles. Thanks a lot, Charles Allen, Bloomberg Intelligence, a senior retail analyst, joining us there. All right, coming up, we're going to talk about commodities. We're going to talk about China, oil, what the curve is telling us, and also- also staying with China. Um, what the reopening is doing to hospitals and how the case count is actually mounting. We're going to try and break that down. This is Bloomberg.
3: This is The
4: Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good evening. You're listening to The Cable, from Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson is over in London. All right, let's get a quick check in here on U.S. markets. So we're definitely a wait and see for the U.S. inflation data tomorrow, and then you got the Fed on Wednesday. But you are seeing a little bit of upside here in the equity market. The S&P is now up by five-tenths of 1%. Now, the turnaround, if I can call it a turnaround, uh, happened around um, about an hour ago, an hour and a half ago, when the New York Fed's three-year inflation expect Expectation fell to 3%, 3% and the one year inflation expectation fell to 5.2%. Now, that's for November. But it's also just showing that the inflation expectation trajectory is moving lower. That's going to be key then for the Fed, which raises the question, and we'll talk about this later, is this a Fed that's going to keep hiking and then just pause and wait for a long period of time? Or are they going to keep hiking and then stop a little earlier than we think? That's how the conversation is evolving just a bit. Um, and within the bond market, you're seeing the 10-year yield pretty much flat now, 358 uh, Um, That's a quick snapshot here in the U.S. Let's get some other headlines with Charlie Pellets.
2: Thank you very much, Alex. Still here is what's going on. The port of Felixstowe, Britain's busiest container port, says over 90% of its workers have agreed to accept a pay deal that will lift wages 8.5% next year. The port, owned by a unit of C.K. Hutchinson Holdings, will also pay workers a 1,000-pound bonus in the deal that is effective on January 1st. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's government is warning Britons to brace for significant disruption in the country's health service. As nurses and ambulance staff prepare to go on strike in the run-up to Christmas, Sunak's government is facing the biggest wave of industrial strife since the 1980s, with strikes planned for almost every day this month as public sector workers demand pay rises that keep pace with inflation at a 41-year high of more than 11%. UK home sellers cut their asking prices at the quickest pace in four years after soaring interest rates made buyers more hesitant. The property search website Rightmove says the average asking price dropped by 2.1% in December to just over £359,000. That is an acceleration from the 1.1% decline in October. That is the latest from the news desk. Alex Steele, back to you now here in New York.
0: All right, Charlie, thank you so very much. So, one amazing article that I read on the terminal as I was coming in this morning had to do with China and how COVID is rapidly spreading through Chinese households and offices as the country relaxed those pandemic rules. But there was some really entrepreneurial reporting that happened. Um, cases of hospitals being overrun by people who weren't even that sick, but were so panicked by the threat of COVID that they went in because they had mild symptoms. And how that's all indicative of how China's handled the pandemic over the last three years, Guy. And I found that to be really interesting. And the state media, of course, you're not going to get the truth from them when it comes to these COVID numbers.
1: Well, they probably haven't gone down. It, it's probably the, the Most honest truth likely. here. But, but the Chinese authorities have basically pulled a 180 here. They, they've... Gone from telling people that this is really scary and it's life-threatening, mm-hmm. and now you've got the chief, um, the chief me- medical uh, officer saying it's akin to flu. So you've gone from kind of scaring the bejesus out of everybody to going, nah, it's okay, it's just going to be like flu. And there are going to be many people that are going to get mild symptoms, but nevertheless, they have been conditioned now mm-hmm. to worry and panic about this. Uh, and that was that was something that maybe we hadn't factored in. Anyway, let's bring in uh, Bloomberg Intelligence's Sam Fazelli as ever to talk about all of this. Sam joining me now in the studio. Sam, let's first, okay, let's deal with the numbers first of all. The numbers haven't gone down, have they? Oh, and they couldn't possibly go
4: down. I mean, either, uh, or uh, the virus is a completely different uh, kettle of fish in China, which of course is not going to be likely. Yeah, I I think, um, I, I have no idea why they play these games. It's possible that people are not testing because they don't have to. And they um, they're scared of being tested positive and what, whatever the, um, the repercussions of that is, uh, which it seems to be changing daily for the better, but still, you know, a, bit, a little bit like in the UK. I mean, I don't look at the testing numbers in the UK anymore. No. Um, I, th- I think the best number would be hospitalizations with due to COVID. That tells you what's happening in the community. So, That's the best way I can put it.
0: What do we know about actual hospitalizations? I mean, uh, hearing anecdotally of hospitals being overrun yeah. with people who might not be, even be that sick doesn't sound great.
4: No, but don't forget, Alex, that in China, the main provision of healthcare is through hospitals. The, there, there aren't really a, um, a major network of uh, general practitioners or, or, or clinics and all that. So a lot of people go for their general for their normal healthcare provision to the hospital. And of course, if you have been scared for three years about this virus, whatever they say now, um, you would want to run to hospital if you know you've got it. And that's probably what's happening. So where wh- how many of these people actually need to be in hospital is, is one thing. The other thing that, that boggled my mind was apparently, you know, I mean, we have to assume there's truth to some of this, on that basis the, the healthcare professionals have been told even if they've got can't, symptoms can't mild, but they're mild they go to work I don't understand because even if you wear the best mask in the world at some point you know something will go wrong and you'll infect your patients around you I just don't understand this.
1: Um, what do we know about the vaccine so my understanding is they are picking up on, on the vaccine programme um, and they, they're vaccinating significantly more people. What do we know about people's willingness to take those vaccines? And I also understand that the vaccines that are now being given out are, are more advanced and are at least more targeted towards Omicron.
4: Um, so I hadn't heard any of those. <laughs>
1: okay. Well, you know more about this than I do. So <laughs> no, 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 but, but to, to be no, true, there's guy, a lot of kind of there's a lot of stuff floating around that may or may not be true. But, the,
4: but guy, also there's such a rapid change in China. I mean, every morning yep. you wake up, something's been chipped away or changed, right? Um, so I don't, I can't. They could, they could potentially develop a, a a killed version of the Omicron virus. There's nothing, there's nothing magical about that. the The point is what they need to do is to get something into the arms of that 60%, 50%, whatever number we're at now, of 80-year-olds and above, um, to, to get them to not overrun the hospitals. Mm-hmm. That's what they need. Remembering, uh, I don't know, I mean, economically, an 80-plus-year-old per person is not very productive, right? But at the end of the day... Clogging up hospitals impacts everybody else across the range of ages, right? Provision of general healthcare just stops, like it did for us. Yep.
0: Yeah. No. Yeah. I remember. Um, so, what about therapeutics? Do we have an idea of the kind of therapeutics that can be used for those that do have to be in it admitted to hospitals? Because it's only been what a week.
4: Yeah. No. The therapeutics are the same as <clears throat> as in as in Europe and and, uh, and and the West. I mean, they they do have access to. For the d- drugs such as Roche's, Actemra, they do have access to drugs such as Lilly's um, uh, inhibitor that was used, baricitinib. The, all these dexamethasone is, is essentially a generic drug. So a lot of what the what you, the West has learned can be used already in China. I don't think there's any worries there. The question is, it would, they will st- they, the, you don't want people to end up at that point. You want to prevent that point.
1: Yes. Um, before I let you go,
4: mm-hmm.
1: what are we seeing in New York? What are you seeing in London right now? From my understanding is
4: that New York seems to have a, a spike going on. But, but generally across both UK and the US, this winter wave that everybody expected is not is looking a little bit like a ripple. I just hope I'm not speaking too soon. And that would be quite interesting if, to, to think through if it ends up remaining like this mm-hmm. after a big holiday in the U.S., which yep. is arguably as big mm-hmm. as Christmas. It's interesting how we've wh- wh- what did we do right to get us to this point?
0: Yeah, but then we also have RSV and the flu. There was also a mask warning issued on Friday for New York City. Um, I don't know. It feels like it could get really ugly really quickly, particularly the RSV. Um, Sam, thank you very much. We'll get you back. Many Much more to talk about Sam Pozzelli. joining us there. And then as goes China, really goes the oil market. There's two big issues for oil. One is China, one is Russia. We're going to break that down next with Francisco Blanche of Bank of America. This is Bloomberg.
4: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on
2: Bloomberg Radio.
0: As I was just mentioning uh, before the break, China and Russia are two big wild cards when it comes to oil. China is the demand demand side. If they reopen, how much oil do they consume? And then Russia is the supply side. Does Russia have a response to the oil price cap uh, that came from Europe and the G7? So we asked these questions to Francisco Blanche, uh, Bank of America's head of global commodities and derivatives research. Um, And we started with... China and what kind of confidence he has that we'll see a full reopening.
7: I think our level of confidence was a little higher uh, last uh, last month. Uh, it's a little lower now. And part of it is uh, I think the way that the reopening seems to be uh, conducted. I mean, it looks like uh, the level of vaccination rates is not is not particularly high in China um, with the uh, particularly with the uh, more, most sensitive groups. And also I think there is uh, concern that uh, the reopening may actually trigger uh, potential hospital Uh, bottlenecks as well in terms of uh, care as well as uh, uh, intensive uh, intensive units. So um, those those issues could eventually uh, delay the uh, reopening and and push it back. Um, So I think everyone's kind of watching very carefully uh, data points such as for example uh, mobility use of restaurants hotels is the reopening going to lead to simply more COVID cases or is it gonna to lead to uh more travel and uh just people being out and about? And and I think I think with the little exposure that China's population has to COVID, uh it it may be a little uh it may take just take a little longer uh to get through this hump uh where where we have the uh the big the big increase in COVID cases and, and, and the spread, initial spread.
1: Let's talk about what is happening with Russian crude. Um do you have any idea, is it possible to get a good idea of, of how much Russian crude is now heading for Asia as a result of the imposition of the crude cap on Russia? And do we know what kind of response we should now be thinking about when it comes to how, how Moscow is going to, to come back on this?
7: So uh, I, think, I think one of the, one of the big issues with, with Russian crude oil is the rules that we've, uh, we've placed, we've seen uh, the EU uh, put around, uh, around those barrels. And certainly the majority of, of this crude, and you can look at it on, on the tanker on the tanker data is heading out to Asia. Right. So the majority call it 80 uh, percent of what was going to Europe in tankers is likely going to head out to Asia mostly India China but also uh, Turkey. And uh, I think one of the interesting parts of this is that the rules allow for the Turkish refiners to buy Russian crude turn it into diesel and sell it into okay. Europe as a Turkish product. Mm-hmm. Um, so my sense is that we're going to see is uh, Turkey Middle East uh, buying Russian crude oil and selling the the, the diesel uh, that they produce into the European market while at the same time they're going to be uh, consuming Russian diesel themselves which is also about to be banned on February 5 mm-hmm. on. Uh, on, on the European uh, sanctions rules that are, are, are going to be implemented next. So those are so, so I think it's a lot of this reshuffling, and a lot of it is is uh, essentially going into the hands of traders, refiners, yeah. um, outside well, the still, European Union, of course.
0: Still Francisco, yeah. and I appreciate that it's not like being taken off the market altogether, et cetera. Do these two factors, the Russia question, and the China question, justify the kind of contango that we're seeing in the curve? And that, of course, is when uh, prices today are cheaper than prices in the future. Um, <laughs> and that it, is that worth this kind of contango? All
7: right. Let's go into contango. Um, so well, for, first of all, I mean, I think I think we have a bit of a soft patch right here. The contango, as, as you pointed out, is is happening, but it's very is very front loaded. Uh, it, it's uh uh, Occurred very quickly over the course of a few weeks, we've gone from a pretty steeply backwardated market where spot prices were trading meaningfully above forward prices with uh, very significant premiums, and the market kind of flipped in the very front end. Uh, the 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 longer dated prices, um, so crude oil five years from now, have been a lot more resilient, and and I think I think the answer is uh, yes, probably with China not fully reopening and Russia being able to export uh, crude oil without the disruptions that we were initially expecting. Uh, The answer is, yes, we do have a surplus in the market right now, probably end of the year into the first quarter that we weren't quite uh, factoring in as much. And and that's kind of why you have the contango. You have have a mother surplus that you need to to adjust for. And and that's exactly what the market's done.
1: Francisco Blanche joining Alex and I earlier from Bank of America. It's never a good day if you don't get to talk about a contango. Maybe a backwardation occasionally, but it's always a
0: good day when you talk about contango.
1: Contango's make it. it. I'm educating Alex on the weather, she educating me on contango's. This is Bloomberg.
4: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
1: Good evening. Welcome back. You're listening to The Cable. We're live on DAB Digital Radio. I'm Guy Johnson in London, Alex Steele, over in New York. So over the weekend, Janet Yellen, the current Treasury Secretary of the United States, former chair of the Federal Reserve, uh, spoke to 60 Minutes. And she basically said that this time next year, inflation will be well down and well under control, which does slightly raise the question about why we're all getting quite so excited uh, about the CPI print that's going to come out tomorrow. If Janet Yellen says it's coming down, that's good enough for me. We've also, of course, got the uh, the Federal Reserve on Wednesday, and everybody expects the Federal Reserve to hike uh, rates by another half a percent, i.e., fifty basis points, uh, and then give us a summary of economic projections, uh, a dot plus, etc., uh, which is going to be the kind of the best guess as to to where inflation and the economy goes forward from here, and where rates need to be uh, as a result. Now, generally, the, the the economic forecasts of the Fed have not been that accurate recently. I Most economists, they've not been that accurate, really, for. Um, So so here's my question. Over the next few days, do we really need to worry about the CPI print? Do we really need uh, to worry about the Fed? I think probably the answer is yes, which is why we have dispatched Michael McKee, our international economics and policy editor, to Washington, D.C., and he joins us now. Mike, I speak tongue-in-cheek, but nevertheless, (laughs) there is some element of truth in all of this. The the CPI print, how much impact is it really going to have? particularly if it's a little soft. And the Fed, why do we care about the Fed? We already know what they're going to do, and we know their forecasts are going to be wrong.
8: <laughs> well, everybody's forecasts have been kind of wrong this year. If you go back and you look at what the market was expecting in terms of CPI for the year and then Fed funds rates, nobody really anticipated the speed that with which inflation accelerated. So I think nobody has clean hands. But uh, I think the thing you can believe is the Fed's uh, determination to leave interest rates at a high terminal rate for quite some time. So that part of the SCP dot plot is going to be important for the markets. It'll also be interesting to see if there's much division, how wide mm-hmm. the forecasts are in the dot plot, because then you get into the question of will people be changing their minds for one reason or another. And, of course, we get new voters on the committee next year the cpi i don't think matters so much uh if you do get the downside surprise you mentioned that might make people feel better but i don't think there's enough data yet that people would specifically change their investment bets based on that if we get a high side surprise a significantly high side surprise now that might really upset the markets
0: yeah, it feels like we're all kind of baking in, like, inflation having peaked. Now, the question is how slow it gets down versus uh, any kind of move to the upside. Um, Mohamed El-Erian wrote in the FT today, Mike, he was talking about how the Fed's going to talk about a 2% inflation target, but secretly, they're really going to be okay with a 3 or 4% because they're not going to have a choice. How do you think that conversation or is evolving right now?
8: Well, I think that uh, that's That's a defensible position on Muhammad's part. We don't know how fast inflation will come down or where it will come down to before it stalls out. But there's a general consensus it will stall out at some point when um, the heavy lifting has been done. Uh, And then the Fed has to look around and decide. They're not going to say that they are abandoning the 2% target because then the markets say you guys have no policy that we can trust. Uh, They wouldn't want to even look at that until they do their five-year review in 2025. So I don't expect them to say anything like, this is okay, but they will recognize that maybe 3% isn't all that bad, and uh, they'll keep rates high but uh, not not be as concerned. The the last
1: time... Um, that Jay Powell and was asked about, uh, sort of spoke and, and gave a press conference. He was asked about what was happening with the markets. Now, the, the person that asked the question misspoke and talks about the fact that markets had gone up on the back of, of the announcements. A- and Jay Powell really didn't like that, mm-hmm. the chair of the Federal Reserve. If, if somebody was to ask a similar question this time around, how do you think he would respond?
8: Uh, I think he he might have practiced it this time, <laughs> and uh, if I were him, uh, or even just if I were me, I would anticipate him saying... Uh you know, markets go up, markets go down. We're not going to react to every move in the markets. And as we saw, uh, the markets reversed where they were when he was asked that question. So uh, I think that he uh, was taken by surprise a little bit. They don't obviously want the markets to give up on them and to fight them. But uh, the instant reaction in the markets, he should, he should know, that, uh, mm-hmm. you know that, that doesn't necessarily represent consensus thinking about the long-term economy.
0: Um, Then, to to the same point, but flipping it, um, John Authors was talking about how the Fed can continue to talk about um, stronger hikes and the rhetoric, but that the dollar and the decline in the dollar in some ways is doing a little bit of easing for the market. So they might talk hawkish, but the market might be skewing through the dollar a little bit more uh, dovish. How do you think, first of all, what do you think about that? And second of all, what do you think Powell's going to say about the dollar?
6: Well,
8: I mean, what you're describing is sort of a mechanical. Reaction, you know, the dollar goes down and it changes the inflation calculation. But that's a very slow input into the economy, Mm -hmm. and it's a slow, uh, a slow change in uh, what growth looks like going forward because the. the kind of stuff that it influences trade is a long-term, you know, contracts are signed months before uh, the goods make their way one way or the other across the ocean. So I, I don't think they're going to worry too much about it. I think they probably are happy that the dollar has come down some. The stronger the dollar, the more... Uh, the, the The less inflation pressure we import, but uh, I think it is also not as good for the yep. economy, so for them, it's a balancing act between the economy being hit and inflation rising.
1: Mike I've got thirty seconds. Is there any chance we don't get anything we, we get anything other than a fifty basis point hike from the Fed?
8: Not unless there's a real upside surprise tomorrow, and I don't think that's going to happen. I I think the Fed is pretty much locked in on 50. They want to be careful going forward. They're high at this point, and they don't want to go too far. So they'll move slowly to make sure that they know what's going on at, at each point.
0: Awesome stuff. Mike, thanks a lot. We will no doubt be speaking to you throughout the week. But CPI tomorrow, don't miss that. We'll also have a crypto hearings in Washington, D.C. Uh, Sam bankman fried will be joining um, congressional leaders there. So well, I don't know if he's physically going to be there, but he'll be there at the hearing in some capacity. We're going to take all, all of that for you. And we're going to have analysis as well. So stay with us. Have a great Monday. This is Bloomberg.